0: Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. Because I've been playing football, um, because I had to rush off after the film. I'm out of a. I've got a bit of a cold coming on. It's been a chilly evening. So if I'm coughing a little bit, spluttering, it's because of that.
1: (laughs) Alright. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, are you ready to begin? No,
0: no, ask me how the match went.
1: Okay, how did the match go? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) 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 All right, right. shall Uh, we begin? Yes. So, we've just come back from seeing uh, Zed in a cinema, it's a 2014 restoration uh and so mike what did you think of it
0: had you seen it before
1: i had not seen it before nor had i obviously
0: uh, i knew nothing about it I was thrilled to find out it was in color really well i mean i, I guess literally the only because you know we ne- we never like to know mm. things before we see films if we can help it and um and so all I knew was that i saw i'd looked up the film briefly just to find out what year it was and i saw the poster was in black and white and, that, and then I just assumed, well, it's a black and white film. Yes. Which is I, dumb, but, you know, whatever. But, but it, it's in colour.
1: I, <laughs> I actually knew quite a bit about it in the sense that, you know, it's one of those films that I've been meaning to see for years. And, in fact, just in the summer, I was really interested in Yves Montand, the, the French star. And so, you know, I bought the film, meaning to see it and so on. It's just one of those things that you know, I've never gotten around to it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you, I have heard, I remember reading Pauline Kale's review on it and, you know, so there's all this kind of vague information that you have on it without actually having seen it really. Mm. So that was how I came into the film.
0: Funnily enough, uh, we'll get onto what the film is about in a minute, but, um, uh, and as normal, we'll be talking spoilers, but this is, is a film from 1969. So yes. if you want to get your act together, um, and it's based en- on
1: historical events
0: yes uh, funnily enough I, um, when I was watching it I thought, I thought a lot of these people looked really familiar which was bizarre because these are French actors from the mm. 60s and 70s so there was no like, I'm, it's not really a, a type and era you know, of film that I'm hugely familiar with I thought maybe, maybe a lot of them had been in The Day of the Jackal possibly Could be. I don't know because I, I have seen that um, and obviously that's the same France um But I don't know. But there were certain shots, almost that I actually thought—I thought I really recognised some of it. Like I don't know if it's—it's it's obviously a big film, right? It was—it's one of the few films that uh, was nominated for best picture and best foreign picture at the Academy Awards. Yes.
1: Um, it won yeah, just every award going. Um, it was a huge popular success huge in popular France success. and surprisingly in America, where I think you know if it wasn't the top 10 it was it was around there mm. yeah it was one of the most popular films of the year in America so
0: critically and uh sort of popularly uh, successful yes um so i guess like it must have seeped in to to you know, kind of the consciousness somewhere yes. because like it felt familiar to me in some ways though i didn't know the plasma, I didn't know anything about it yes um so that was an interesting experience Anyway, maybe I did recognise parts. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it's just a style of, of that kind of filmmaking that seems similar. I don't know. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Um, it's it's so engrossing. It, it it's a properly gripping political thriller, basically. Yes. But not yeah. like overdone. It's not like you know spying and people running about. It's it's about a single event and then the investigation into what happened and people spinning their stories about it.
1: Yes. So basically, the the plot in a nutshell is that. This doctor, uh, played by Yves Montand, is the leader of the opposition. He goes to give a speech that's against nuclear disarmament. And you realise quickly that the police is making is doing everything to prevent this being a safe event. Uh, uh, the police
0: is run by the military, more or less. Yes. Everyone involved, everyone at the top is a colonel. They've all got... Uh, uniforms and the medals. That's right. So they have
1: a stake in having an incident happen. In the meantime, someone's heard that uh, the speaker uh, uh, might be assassinated. The speaker is so used to these warnings that he ignores them. Uh, The only place that they find for him to speak is in this hall that's opposite his hotel and that they get around in by putting speakers outside so that they can address the huge audience they're expecting. So one of, the, one of the ways that this film has such tension is that really all that's involved is getting this man safely across the street, mm-hmm. right? And what ends up happening is that he doesn't get there safely. Uh, he gets beaten, and actually he doesn't get... He, only, he doesn't only get beaten, he ends up being killed. So the whole film becomes a police procedural. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, it's uh, 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 Jean-Louis Trentignan who we just saw the other day in Haneke's film... Happy End. ...and Happy End, uh, here is, you know, as a very young... Uh, mm. uh, um, was well, 50 years ago. Yeah, More is. hair,
0: fewer wrinkles.
1: Yes, uh, looking very serious and handsome. Uh, anyway, he's the one who leads the investigation, and, you know, the more he talks to people, the more he uncovers, mm. until, you know, uh, at the very end of the film... He accuses all of the major colonels and police people, you know, who are involved in really a plot to uh, uh, that, a plot that ended up in the death of this national figure. So, um, and the title comes from, you know, the letter Z in Greek, which means he's alive or something like he lives.
0: Yeah, I was just looking this up because I didn't know this before. I didn't know, I but the it's the last title in the film. Right? Well, I didn't know it was uh, based on historical
1: events. Ah, oh, right, okay.
0: Um, I'll just give you the Wikipedia summation. The film, it's, it's based on a novel, and the film presents a thinly fictionalised account of the events surrounding the assassination of democratic Greek politician Grigoris Lambrakis in 1963. Uh, the letter Z. The film's title refers to a popular Greek protest slogan. Uh I think it's pronounced Z. Mm. Meaning he lives in reference to Lambraffis.
1: Yes. And unlike uh, uh, most thrillers, you know, which have like a satisfying kind of resolution or a crime is prevented or a crime is uncovered, this one, what happens is the crime is uncovered and then there's a coda telling you what really happened with all of the major figures and really kind of what really happened is... You know, the colonels all got scot off scot free. The people who did the murder got a minimal sentence. And then all of, you know, the the very good, uh, you know, doctors and lawyers and <coughs> journalists, you know, who accompanied the Yves Montan figure, you know, uh, seven of them were killed, you know, in various they're, they're ruled, ways. They're ruled
0: as suicides and no foul play, but they're all. Yeah, uh, car crashes
1: and drownings. And, exactly. Yeah. right. Political and assassinations. So, um, you know, and so <coughs> and uh, then the
0: military seizes power and the, starts right.
1: banning art and yeah. Uh, so then, because this is nationally seen, you know, as such a contravention of democratic principles and you know justice. Uh, the, 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 the military is afraid or the conservatives are afraid of losing the next election. So basically what happens is, you know, that the military takes over and this is actually what's referred to in this period of Greek history is, you know, it's, 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 it's the rule of the colonels. I think it's called, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, the military junta run, run by colonels really takes off, uh, takes on the government of the body of, of, uh, Greece and you have all of these people like Melina Mercouri and so on who go into exile as a result and i imagine that you know as part of this protest is why we see Irene Papas for example playing you know the role of Yves Montan's wife yeah mm-hmm. so that's the plot Tell me in about in her Irene oh, so, well you know she's a she's a great uh greek star uh um Irene Papas i mean maybe most famous you know, for being in Zorba the Greek, uh, but you know she was, I think, in the Guns of Navarone and and so on. Along with Melina Mercouri, she's the only, the Melina Mercouri and Irène Papas are the only actors in the post-war period in Greece that acquired an international reputation. Mm. They're the two biggest stars of 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 Greek cinema, I suppose. Right. Yeah. So um,
0: the uh, most terrifying. I, it's not. It's not really a terrifying film, but then the ending is is incredibly terrifying because it's all about you know everything basically has gone well, right? This mm-hmm. is a film with a happy ending. They've they, he's he's indicted all the people in charge for the crime. He's uncovered it. He's listened to all the stories, and, and he's got it right. He solved the case, if you like. Yes. Right. And then the military just seizes power. It's, mm-hmm. it's, none of that matters. They yeah. just take over. Right. And the most terrifying thing is right at the end, which I don't know if it's a slight. Mistranslation or not, Um, but I think the subtitle because I don't, I don't speak French. Believe it or not, Mm. not very good. I (laughs) I get every like, I get every twentieth word. (laughs) You know, like I think someone every every now and again, the subtitle to their word that I knew I was going to recognise. They say "dog," and then I'd hear the word "chien" and go, "I know French." (laughs) (laughs) But right at the end, um, it says they banned the letter Z. Yes, which I and I don't know if it's. In the, in the French, it's more the use of the term Z, mm-hmm. or if it's the letter Z. But banning the letter Z, as the subtitle suggested, is far more scary.
1: Yes.
0: It's scary banning a term anyway, but I, it reminds me of this novel called Ella Minopi, um which is a girl's name, by uh, this writer, Mark Dunn. It's a, it's a novel about a totalitarian government that starts banning the use of letters mm. uh, because a, a hero of theirs invented the phrase the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog and as letters start falling off the statue of this bloke, mm. they're like, well, it must be a sign. And the the novel is written in uh, letters going back and forth, correspondences, and the government is reading them all. Mm. So as the novel goes on and more letters fall off this statue, there are fewer letters available to the writers to use yeah. it's a it's a really funny really it's a brilliant little novel mm-hmm. I suggest you read it um, anyway so we were talking about the, the very ending of the film where uh, it's it's uh, scary it takes a turn I think it's important it's um, I mean it's, it's clearly making a point isn't it uh, that change in tone it's, it's it's basically the film is kind of on this rise you know in kind of mood yes. you're going with it you're like yes they're going to take, get it taken down Jean-Louis Printignant is going to get them Yes. And then, oh, no, they took over and killed everybody.
1: Right. And in fact, what the ending does, so, this, so like there's this whole coda at the end saying all of the things that had been banned. So, you know, modern music, long hair, uh, mathematics, mm. uh, you know, the uh, the attribute, the saying that Socrates was homosexual. So there's this long list, you know, from entire branches of science to really specific things that this military junta now bans right mm-hmm. so you know whereas the uh structure of the film is like this thriller where everything actually is, this procedural thriller where everything gets resolved at the end that's cut out from under you yeah you know and in fact the problems are not only not resolved but they could become exacerbated right
0: i think the letter Z as well that the, the the final thing Literally, the final thing the film uh, shows you and tells you is um, the letter Z has been banned, and it shows up a huge letter Z on screen uh, as the as the credits end roll, and it, it 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 ends the film. So, because it's the last letter of the alphabet, it's not just. I mean, it's great that it's a reference to this mm-hmm. uh, Greek saying, um, but it's the last letter of the of the alphabet, yes. and it ends. So it's like saying this is the end. There's nothing to come after this. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Feels really
1: definitive, mm. and yeah, quite scary. Yes. Um, let me tell you all the things that I loved mm. Okay. So I loved Yves Montand, right? From the moment that he gets off out the airplane at the beginning of the film, you see somebody like really handsome, charismatic, authoritative. Right. It's it's kind of like a wonderful cameo performance in a way, right? Because you know it seems like for about a third of the film, you think that the film is about him. And really, kind of, for most of the film, it ends, it ends up being Jean-Louis Trintignant, who is, is marvellous, you know, being, uh, I don't know, the magistrate who leads this inquest. I, I, he's I a judge. Know. Okay, he's a judge. That's the word, that's the, the subtitle use. used. Okay.
0: So judge, I'll, I'll always be relying on the subtitles to help me out with these okay. things.
1: The judge who leads the inquest. So, you know, I love both of them. I love the way the the film space right it is paced as a thrill. it's exciting to watch i loved that it's so humorous yeah yes. kind of you know the film finds not only excitement you know but humor in this really absurd political situation the other thing i loved is the way that the pe- that the film is very kind and wise about its minor characters right so you know these thugs and killers and so on Right, like they're rounded. They're giving backstories and family. They're humanized, right? Mm. They're not just some kind of abstract, kind of no-name figure that can be bumped off. So I loved all of that, all of those aspects of the film. Actually, actually, Uh,
0: thinking about those minor characters, now you mention it, they kind of have um, a um, a sort of Poirot feeling to them. The idea that I mean, obviously you know what happens. It's not a mystery. You know what happens. You've seen it happen, and it's and it's how it's going to pan out. But Investigating these people and listening to their stories and seeing them interact, um, you have, it's it builds this kind of tapestry where it's not just about kind of what you did and, and your whereabouts on the evening last, but it's it's about what informs them to do what they do. Yeah, and and that kind of thing. So
1: they're not shown to be evil characters. I mean, you know, they're shown to be kind of ordinary people who have certain circumstances. Really, that's all. Really. So you know, they get caught up in you know, this somebody else's um, game Mm. um, for reasons that are often banal. You know, having birds that make noise and needing a permit or, you know, fearing losing a job or... There's a lot to do with money. Yeah. You you very often hear them talking to each other about one of them wants to keep up the payments
0: on his car, the other one gets tomatoes when they're out of season. He steals one because they're so expensive. Yes. They're always talking about money.
1: So this leads me to the thing that I like least about the film. Okay. You know, which I thought it was absolutely, completely typical of the left-wing films of its day <laughs> in its uh, uh, dissemination of homophobia, right? You know, so you can argue <laughs> that having, like, this leziest killer of them all... As you know, a, a gay guy, the, you know, the biggest sleaziest thug in the in the whole film, quite a predatory
0: gay guy. Yeah,
1: to make him not only gay but a child molester. In fact, right, is really uncalled for. Now, you know, you're talking
0: about the bit where he tries to pick up the guy at the pinball.
1: But not only that. So you know, first you see oh, a young boy in the un- in his underwear in the balcony. Then he tries to pick up the guy in the pinball. But then you also find out from his uh, police history. You know, That's that he had raped a young boy in the Scouts. That's right. I right, it, in yeah. the Boy Scouts. I just thought that was, like, too much and uncalled for. And particularly at a time, you know, when the representation of any gay people at all, you know, there were, it was so few, there was such a dearth or you know, of representation. People were starved for representation, you know. And to have them, you, to have gay people represented like this, I thought was uncalled for. Now, you know, the... I noticed that
0: as well, I must say.
1: yeah. So, you know, you could make an argument, oh, but it was historically accurate. The guy who did do this was like that, you know, but actually kind of I don't think there was any need to show it as that. And actually, it's kind of, you know, oppressing, oppressing gay people, You're know, oppressing a minority, disempowered, disenfranchised, you know, population by kind of. You know making the villain in this particular way and I think actually that's one of the things that to me prevents this film from being really great it's kind of you know has a model of action and of social change and so on you know that is is viral right that it's kind of you know you have to be a man in a particular kind of action man to be a man of integrity and so on mm-hmm. and that implies you have to be a man and you have to be a heterosexual man right so it's a very particular and as I said ...you know, very typical of, of left-wing ideals of that time... ...which were also kind of very homophobic, so...
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, I don't know as much about it as you... ...but I agree with you, I find that quite distasteful... ...I mean, the first... ...the moment that you see him is when they're inciting a riot... ...with um, uh, a load of lefties who are trying to get into this talk... ...this hall, the halls, then the talks has been moved away... ...and uh, the, the, the government essentially, some government agents... ...basically signal all these thugs to go and start the riot... Right. And, and uh, the, the gay uh, guy is one of them. And the, cam- the, the, the camera focuses on him while this riot is, is happening. He's there just taking it in and occasionally kicking someone and being quite aloof about it. And he's got a flowery shirt as well. And so I just, I, I, thought, I thought, is this so obvious? Like, or am I seeing this? And then it turns out, no, he is gay. Uh, the film kind of confirms it a little bit later. Yes. And I thought, I noticed this right away. This is so overt and, as you say, so unnecessary. Yes. Um, I mean, I wasn't particularly familiar with the, the history of that being something that left-wing films or left-wing stories would do. Yeah. But um, it was so clear.
1: Yes. And, uh, and, and making no point, really. Mm. Um, well, it took a long time for the, the left. The film would have been
0: stronger without it.
1: Yes, it would have been stronger without it. Because actually, you could argue, you know, that the guy who helps reveal the case, I think there's a sense in which he's also coded as gay.
0: Which one is that? You know, the, the one guy who that got beaten over the <coughs> head th- and the he football
1: up, fan. Yeah, football fan <laughs> who ends up in the hospital, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, to me, he's definitely coded as gay.
0: Okay.
1: Right. You know, he's a he's a middle aged man who's clearly not married, who's taken over as head of the household. You know, who uh um you know who lives with his mother, yeah, and who's got this very cute kind of young man working you know, for him and his business, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and he's got no children and blah, yeah? So kind of, that would be a traditional set of characteristics that you could read as gay without making it explicit, which for me makes the other thing worse, right? So I don't know if the film is trying to balance it out, right? To make, you know, this nice man who, who, in a way, is the key to unraveling the case, you know, and the thug killer... Right, I don't know if that's meant to like kind of you know one make up for the other, whatever. But they're not equivalent because one is very very explicit, you know, and the other one is coded. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, I know what you mean.
0: I mean uh, that that kind of stuff has always been slightly uh, I I don't know what the the word would be um, alien to me, maybe, or just kind of not saying that I hugely look for or am accustomed to seeing the the, the idea of things being
1: coded. Yes.
0: Um, When someone explains it to me, it always becomes quite clear. Yes.
1: Um, Well, I mean, you know, kind of... The thing is that it renders it a likelihood. It doesn't seal the case, which is, you know, where coding comes in. Because, you know, it's quite possible, you know, for a middle-aged man who's unmarried, you know, to be unmarried for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, maybe he's got, like, this cute Fey assistant... You know, because he just needed somebody to get. Like, the thing about the coding is that you could always rationalize it away. That's why yes. it's not explicit, it's coded. But when you have these whole set of characteristics, it lends to a particular interpretation, right? Yeah. It's too many characteristics together. So, you know, anyway, I thought of, I thought of that. But then you have, like, this, this child molester thug, <laughs> you know, into young boys who really <coughs> is, like, the person who commits the crime, right? Like, it's just too much. Yeah. He's a central kind of, most overt villain. Yes, um, and so, you know, he is rendered explicitly.
0: It's funny uh, what you said about um, about the idea that it would be historically accurate, because I have no idea how deep the, the historical accuracy goes, but that, that has never seemed like um, a good argument to me. If, if you're telling a true story, this is obviously fictionalised, but mm-hmm. let's say you're telling an absolutely true story, people will say, well, it's historically accurate, and they go, well, if it's problematic, th- then there's and and there's no good reason to keep it for there reason or you could change it for some reason like that's never seemed to me to me to be a good defense well it was historically accurate you're still making choices about what you put in exactly. and leave out and change you have to take responsibility for your story
1: exactly right like so you know you 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 could have been you could you know uh, the, if if this thug was gay you know hey well first of all actually it doesn't it doesn't add an, anything to the story to say so mm. really you know, and secondly, it could you know it could have been done in all kinds of ways without kind of getting people creeped out at the idea of homosexuality, which is what the film does.
0: Well, so let's think about it then so um what you're getting at is we agree that it adds nothing to the story. Mm. um Why then did people portray homosexuals in this way or choose to portray villains as homosexual what well, well, pure the- homophobia.
1: Yes. I mean, without a doubt. Right. And it's very interesting as you know, as well, because, you know, so for example, in the US in the 1950s, I mean, first of all, it was banned. Right. Like the production code banned it. Mm. But second of all, when you coded it. Right. So that part of the reason I had to be coded is also because it was banned. Right. But then when you coded it, there were all these ideas that went along with it. Right. So, you know, kind of homosexuals were, were seen to be a danger to the state. Why? You know, because you know, they, they, they all lived secret lives. And, you yeah. know, they were like double agents. They could pass, right? But then like also... subverted norms. That's right. And then also because, you know, they were so promiscuous, right? Like kind of, you know, one time they were like sleeping with this garage mechanic, but the next time it was like the Minister of State or something. Yeah, so kind of information got passed around in ways that nobody could control. Yeah, so they yeah. were seen as like, uh, I mean, <clears throat> I forget what they were called, the fifth whatever um you know the fifth it was a fifth column right It was a uh, um the fifth column column, yeah which was like you know it was almost like an army against the state but that was secret right you know so um i mean people were prosecuted for being gay under mccarthyism because it was seen as being anti-american and you know very likely to help the communists right very ironically of course the people who ran all of this you know was gay himself roy Cohn, right eastwood made a film about yeah, and uh, and also Edgar, the head of the CIA, was reputed also to be gay. So actually, all of these things, you know, were not without um, uh, foundation. foundation. There was a massive
0: not, gay uh, scandal in the UK, wasn't it, in, in political firmament? I'm sure. I forget. Well, there were so many. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but anyway, the you know,
1: the fact that it had to be secret, but that it existed, and that people could pass, right, it was hidden... Right. That was seen as kind of like not only presenting a real danger. Right. Uh, uh, Well, it was seen as being presenting a real danger, but to the state, you know, this is uh, this is uh, something that obviously as a gay man, I noticed right away and it upset Mm. me. Uh, It's not key or at the core of the film. So let's be careful. and
0: And let me just clarify the fifth column is that uh, any group of people who undermine a larger group from within usually in favour of an enemy group or nation the activities of a fifth column can be overt or clandestine uh, the origin is during the siege of Madrid in the Spanish Civil War Nationalist Gen- General Emilio Mola told the journalist in 1936 as his four columns of troops approached Madrid a fifth column or Quinta Columna of supporters inside the city would support him and undermine the Republican government from within
1: so yeah. just to imitate your brother it's Quinta Columna Quinta Columna <laughs>
0: Or say, say Quinta?
1: Yes, I don't know what you... Quinta Columna or something. No. We can't solve the Eurotra. No, trend. my Chinese is as bad as your Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, the term was then widely used
0: in Spain, and then Hemingway used it as the title of his only play.
1: There you go. Anyway, so that clarifies what I was anyway. saying. Yeah? So gay people were seen as a kind of a fifth column, but for the Soviet Union.
0: Um so we've spoken a lot about uh, a a large flaw that we agree on in the film. Yes. Um but that, that that doesn't say anything about the many many things that we liked.
1: Yes, no and and to be fair let's you know let's articulate. I think you know this is a fantastic film mm. and really the only thing in my view that prevents it from being like truly great is is what I just mentioned and possibly a few more things that are connected to that. But it's a wonderfully paced thriller. It's wonderful to see you know, a film that is, that is political in my view, right? Like, you know, it's a film about things that matter and a kind of, you know, about disseminating information, the second and disseminating kind of, you know, reasons to act. Right. And the film begins at the very beginning says, it says something like, you know, the normal disclaimer, uh, if, if this uh, film, uh, um, any,
0: any resemblance to fictional persons or events, uh, is accidental and this says is not accidental exactly right
1: yeah. you know so you're very much kind Which I should
0: have, I should have assumed I guess <laughs> I, didn't yes. realize, I didn't I thought it was a bit of a joke <laughs> yeah well no actually no I I didn't know, I didn't realize it was talking specifically about or based specifically on on real life events but I I did assume that it meant that it was Talking about the kind of the state of the world as it was, and it was just trying to be overt about that. Like every film is commenting on the world as it is, yes. Um, But I thought it was just trying to be overt about that in a humorous way. But obviously, it's being a little more clear that it's really about something that really happened.
1: The other thing that I want to say is that I find it very relevant to our time. That's why they're showing it at the Mac, isn't it? You know, it's kind of uh, uh, it's it's a film in which kind of basic, fundamental kind of rights you know, uh, basic fundamental tenets of democracy are actually kind of being overturned in the same way that, like, Trump seems to be overturning kind of everything that makes America, America, right? So, and, and what's inspiring to me about this film, or not inspiring, but what moved me is to see the chances that people took, right? So kind of the very simple act of listening to a talk against disarmament kind of involved putting... People putting their their bodies on the line, knowing that they were going to get beaten by the police and gassed, and you mm. know, and they were still there, right? So, kind of, you know, you forget how much it costs to acquire the freedoms that we have, and how little it takes to take them all away. Mm. You know, so I, I found that kind of moving.
0: the The central um, sort of set piece of the opening act, which is the. Uh, the rally the protest the crossing the street and ultimately uh the attack on the politician um reminded me a lot of detroit it had this oh, kind of yes. obviously the whole it, the film actually is is similar to detroit except the difference is that detroit is hugely about the uh that event it, it, in detroit's case it's about the people being uh, lined up in the house and, yes. and, and Mistreated to put it lightly by the police, and then the investigation is is quite brief at the end. There was also the the investigation this is half the film or more mm. um, but it reminds me of that this kind of this enactment of of a, a hugely tense situation involving police brutality and regular people and different groups of regular people all all mingling together, and there being in my case <laughs> no idea what was going to happen again not, mm. not not um familiar with the the real events. Um, there's a great deal of tension, um, and and I I felt kind of very similar to you. Like, a, like, I you know, on the news, you've seen uh, events in the street that look exactly like this. Mm. Um, it, it kind of it felt like it hit close to home. Every every sort of student protest it, or kind of the um, you know, kind of people protesting on Wall Street, for instance, mm. all looks like just like this. Yes. it hasn't changed.
1: Yes, I mean. The film kind of makes it exciting to watch, you know because uh first of all, it moves at a very quick pace it's 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 very interesting, I think, very archetypally a film of its period you know if you'd only see like you know one minute of the film, you'd know that it was a, a film from the late sixties mm-hmm. right the way that it's cut you know the, the uh, there's a lot of zooms, yeah right, kind of the type of color that it has you know, the way that it uses kind of flashbacks, so, you know, it's almost like you you get different points of view on important actions, and also you get kind of, you know, things of memory. So, for example, when Irene Pappas, you know, goes to, to to her husband in the hospital who they're not getting along with, like you know, almost every step in is like a flashback of memory when she was with him, when they were happier or they argument. arguing. It looks like, you know, she's looking in one way and then instead of going forward with the action, you go backwards to a memory, right? And so... Yeah. You, and very this, briefly, it's very, cut in very quickly and yeah, it comes yeah. back. It's fast, fast, fast. So basically kind of, you know, what you get is a really kind of rounded, um, you know, uh, the depiction of a relationship and also the complications around it. Yeah, the kind of, you know... People have mixed feelings. So, so there was a a very moving moment where uh, she takes his cologne and sniffs it. You know, as a Mm. way of like bringing him back or recalling him. Or he's just passed away. Yeah. So she wants she wants to keep something corporeal. Or yeah. Or corporeal is the wrong word because obviously scent is not quite corporeal. You know, but something that manifests presence really.
0: Yeah, well, the film makes makes a point of the, the last time she saw him. She she and her husband are not together in in the contemporary time of the film. The only time you see them together is is through their memories uh, when uh, the eve wasn't Eve Monton. Yes, when the Eve Monton character um, sees a girl in the window, and obviously she reminds him uh, of his wife, and and then some memories show up of the two of them together, and then. Uh, the wife has memories of the two of them together as well. Those are the times you see them together. But the but when she shows up at the hospital, um, where he's being operated on for the third time, she she she's she told she can't walk into a room, which she does walk into, and then she sees through the door of the operating room, but she doesn't see anything in there. And this shot comes back a few times, where it's it's just something happening below the window, but you can't see. She doesn't get to see her husband, and then what what she does see of him ultimately. Is about fifteen X-rays of his skull. <clears throat> that's all that she really has of him. So that's that's the only time she gets to interact with him. So the cologne sniffing that is so important because that's that's, that's something different. It's not it it's something that meant something else yes. and has an emotional uh, you know kind of component. It's, seeing the X-rays is so harsh, yes. and and I think the film really emphasises that that she doesn't get to physically connect with him yes
1: you know and it's made even more poignant because clearly they've been a couple who have had their difficulties mm-hmm. right so the implication is that Yves Mont the montan character has been having an affair with someone else mm-hmm. right um, so you know their marriage is kind of you know on rocky ground right so Um, you know and that's what's lovely about the film that you get kind of these complex things you know so on the one hand it's kind of a marriage with problems on the other hand there's kind of like real feeling and regret you know and you get that from both characters from the Yves Montan character as well who you know talks about his children and says I haven't been you know been able to see them very much and and yet he carries the picture of uh, his wife and child with him everywhere yet on the other hand you know he sees uh, a a shop assistant and it reminds him not only of his wife but of an affair that he seemed to be having yeah? Like mm. kind of the flashback is to a young woman he's with as well as his wife mm. you know and his wife looking at Yako yeah? having caught them there's this implication
0: That's uh, um, the first thing I liked about the film uh-huh. I wonder the first thing I liked about the film as I said was that it was in colour But the, um, the first thing after that that I liked about the film was um, it opens up on people talking about wine yeah I thought ah oh, uh, this is a film set in france it's a, it, it, the, the The film opens up with um the the police basically having a meeting um and they're talking about cutting out the mildew yeah so you must protect your wine from mildew with these these three stages and obviously they'll care very deeply about protecting their wine um and then it's a metaphor for uh cutting out liberalism yes. and left
1: winginess and communism yes, exactly. Um, though, you know, now that you mention it, one of the interesting things about the film is that initially its location, you you know, if you, if you haven't participated in the whole publicity drive for the film, which we did not, um, I found it kind of confusing because, you know, um, it could have been set in France, right? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of the time I thought, is this Marseille? Yeah, because like the people are too dark and yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of. It's clearly meant to be set in Greece, right mm. but but actually, it took me a while to um to 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 be sure of it, though you know I should have known better because I, I actually have read quite a bit about the film over the years, but you know I, I think the film retains some ambiguity about it because
0: well the fact is obviously that everyone is speaking in French and they are French actors, yeah. so so it, you know if it's set in Greece, it's like having English people mm. playing Greek but just speaking English you know um well, like uh, like like the Stalin, the death of Stalin. Mm. <clears throat> Everyone's Russian, but they're English people and Americans speaking yes. English. Um, so but I think the film main, maintains some ambiguity though because it never says where it's set. People just talk about uh, the capital is yes. somewhere else, yes. but they don't say or oh, Athens or Paris. Yes, um, and it, it so there is a kind of g- general sort of European yes. feel in some respects. So some of the architecture is quite general. In, yes,
1: and on the other hand, the cafes. Are serving like Greek pastries, yeah. you know, and so on. Yeah, so it's 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 you eventually get that it's not France, but actually, I don't remember it ever being really said that it's Athens, right? Yeah. You know, and and the signs and so on are often in French rather than in Greek, right? Yeah. So I
0: must say that I didn't question for a moment that it was said in France. Um, mm. uh, in, in other words, I assumed it from the beginning, and then nothing deterred me from from thinking that. Um, well, and I suppose I then thought about the um, the student uprisings in Paris and how it, I, I assume the film was sort of more based on those, really.
1: No, because I mean, if you see, like, uh, if, you know, you well, you wouldn't have colonels like that, in you no. know, involved in a French. I, I'm oh, not right. sure, but I think even things like the the, the police uniforms and mm. you know, and so on and so forth, right? I mean, it's all. I think it's clearly meant <coughs> to set in Greece. Though the interesting thing is that it, it to my you know from what I can gather from what, just having watched the film it never explicitly states it which is in itself interesting yeah. I'm sure there must be a reason um well I think it's trying to make the
0: story more general um you know I think I think if it says this is a film about Greece it's easy to or easier to say well this is just how things happen in Greece
1: well trying I to say this is,
0: why, this is why you're saying it so you feel so relevant today yes um
1: I mean, what's interesting as well is that if one looks historically, right, um, you know, all these attempts at freedom or at democracy, like in Europe, they already had a history. So, for example, you know, there was the 1956 Hungarian uprising, right? There was the one in Czechoslovakia in 68. You know, then you have the student thing in Paris in 68. So, actually, I think your your point about maybe wanting to make it more general you know, uh, might be true. This is something that could happen to 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 uh, to anyone, really.
0: And was uh, happening.
1: And was happening. Yeah. You know. So, but actually, what the film argues is that it's happening not only in Soviet places, but actually, mm. you know, in
0: well, in in the place. If it, you know, if it really is meant to be Greece, and we kind of miss things, um, it's the place where democracy was invented.
1: Yes, um, and then it's clearly Greece because you know they talk about the palace and. You know, I mean, it was a monarchy at the time. You know, they, yeah, they, they... France has palaces. They didn't, have, didn't <laughs> have a monarchy, you know. And so kind of one of the groups is a royalist group. Yeah, the right-wing group, you know, that's behind uh, the incident is a royalist group. It's very specifically a royalist group. So for a while, I thought, <clears throat> oh, my God, you know, kind of, you know, the sentiment for the for the monarchy, for the Bourbons... Uh, Has lasted a long time in France, and then you realize no, it's clearly you know the king was still there. I think uh, at this at this time. (laughs) So I'm happy to consider it as wanting to be a general sort of
0: sort of any town. Yes, Um, I I think that is ultimately what the film is going for. I think it would be more explicit if it were setting itself in a certain location.
1: Yes. Um, Um, So. Anyway, uh, uh, one,
0: one, uh, one for best film editing at the Academy Awards as well, and I think you,
1: that's well deserved. You can
0: tell, yes, <laughs> it has lots of editing, yes, um, right from the beginning. It's so fast, actually, at the beginning, it was, it was kind of annoying me that the opening is just a meeting, uh, or you know, kind of lectures and talk, PowerPoint presentations basically being given to the, to the chiefs of police, and um, the camera's cutting so quickly, uh, it, it's actually it's actually a little bit hard to adjust to as well, because on top of that, I'm also basically looking at the bottom third of the screen where the subtitles are. So yes. I'm trying to take in all these images that they're being thrown at me with all this dialogue that's being just given to me in the bottom half of the screen. Yes. So there's a lot to contend with right at the beginning. Yes. Um, um, but it is, it's edited very quickly and uh, very naturally, like nothing really seems out of place. And when those flashbacks come in, they're so, they're so beautifully integrated and moved to, and, and they're, they're timed they're time really nicely, like they they kind of, they're so fast and fleeting, and they really feel like these kind of harsh flashes of memory. Yes. Particularly when uh, it's the, the woman's husband has died and she's kind of being slightly tortured, like it, it you know, she's in shock basically, yes. and then these flashes of memory coming back to her, and they're so they're so brief
1: um, and sharp. It's a uh, it's 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 an intricate. Complex thriller with lots of characters, uh, and the characters seem to grow as the film proceeds. That nonetheless feels absolutely contemporary. It moves at an incredibly fast pace. You know, you understand kind of what's going on. You're kind of not only geographically situated, but narratively situated in all of the components. You know, and basically the components then refer back to each other kind of throughout the narrative, right? (coughs) So, there are a few lines of dialogue that are key because, you know, they kind of connect kind of you know people in the police with the thugs and so on yeah and kind of they're repeated you know and you're made aware that there's a connection and then kind of you know everything unfolds you know in a really neat way because all the dots kind of match up right
0: I think that's a really insightful point because I think what we tend to think of when we think of editing as I just did is uh, how one shot relates to another in you know kind of in in the micro level uh, how sequences work um, which is part of it, but the other part of editing is how an entire story is constructed. Mm. And and I think this film, this film has a lot of characters and a lot of different kind of sections of characters. Um, and they're all they're all kind of maintained, given their time. No, no one feels left out or under explained. Um, and and they're, they're they're kind of they're juggled really nicely. And, and information is so important in the film. Like every time, every time the uh, inspector, every time the judge. Learns a new piece of information, it's important, it recontextualizes everything that's come before, and he then, uh, you know, he learns that someone, he learns that the, the chief of police gave someone an instruction, hmm. um, and then he speaks to the chief of police and he's, and the chief police denies it mm. or says something else but he, he, hasn't, he hasn't directly accused him but he's using that information to then coax something else out of him mm. and it's very easy to understand and follow and you know exactly what he's thinking all the time yes. it's very economical as well I mean there's so much to, to pack in yes. it's incredibly efficient with the way it, it disseminates, dispenses information to you and, and helps you understand what people are thinking
1: what the information means to them yes so so it's coherent in that way. I think it moves very quickly. It moves like a contemporary film. And I don't know what you felt, but I also found it exciting and actually it makes me think, you know, because it has action scenes and it has chase scenes. You know, and in a way it's really interesting because, you know, the action scenes in a way like, you know, you have a few blows and they have terrible repercussions. They result in death. Mm. Right? but they're they're made a exciting <coughs> to watch right and b having consequences yeah yeah so so you 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 you, ha- you they continue these scenes continue to be exciting even though in a contemporary film you know you'd have five cars zipping through a highway and you know at incredible speeds and whatever was actually this is an old tub with a muffler that doesn't work <laughs> right yeah but but it still feels exciting it's you know
0: i yeah. agree it did feel it felt very exciting the whole way through. Um, the film changed into something I didn't expect, which was that it, it pe- became uh, a procedural, became mm. an investigation. Um, and again, that remained exciting because then, as I, as I said, the film's control of information is such that it has a, a great sense of pacing mm. and and tension. You know, are these guys going to get found out? I, I, I like the way the film um, shows you the events as they happen and then shows you two people giving their versions of them yes. and actually one of them is, is from the baddies and one of them is from the goodies Yes. Uh, or, you know, roughly speaking one of them is the chief of police who is the ultimate baddie yes. and the other one is um, one of the left wing guys who was a, a friend and colleague of the, the senator who died Yes. they both give their events and they're both not entirely accurate one is slightly more accurate than the other but they have their differences and you know that and then it comes down to is the inspector going to figure it out yeah
1: that, that happens at a key moment in the film, and it's part of the beauty of the way that the film is structured. It's part of the beauty of the screenplay. You know, because for the whole first third, it really is about Yves Montand giving the stock, really, and what happens, right? Then the <coughs> film shifts gears. And so, and in between the film kind of being moved on from Yves Montand as the protagonist to Jean Louis Trantignan as the judge, yeah, trying to uncover what really happened, you have. You know these two different versions you know of what happened right kind of being told by two different people so it could have been this it could have been that and that happens really at that moment of the shift yeah you know so kind of it's a really beautiful um structure that the film has yeah um
0: it's two hours and ten minutes long and doesn't have a lull yes at all
1: yeah I mean, that's pretty incredible actually yes it was uh it was thrilling to watch i thought um, you know and it was kind of thrilling to watch as a thriller and actually I thought it was also a kind of a model of what uh, uh, political cinema can be I'm sure there's lots mm. you know that uh, that's been written on this I'm so glad that I saw it on on a cinema screen yes
0: and I'll tell you for why it's because I had a really bad time watching the day of the jackal um I found it really boring in fact I be I, I really I wasn't really watching it to be honest, and I kind of skipped ahead. And I, you know, it, it deserves me the chance for me basically because mm. I know that it's a classic, mm. um, and I know there are things about it that I'd like. Um, but it's because I was watching it on a laptop screen while I was doing other stuff like that. Is not mm. the way to watch a movie. Mm. Um, and 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 I, I I'm sure that even if I'd be giving this film my full attention on my TV at home, it wouldn't have been the same watching this. Yes. Um, being in a cinema and and having having it big and in front of you and you're devoted to it and your, your phone's off or well, mine was <laughs> <laughs>
1: the point of <laughs> you know what I mean it, it, ma- <laughs> it
0: makes a huge difference yes um, and it's the way to see it like you know you say you bought it on DVD and you'd be mean to see it for ages and aren't you glad that you didn't watch it until now I am
1: you know and, and I would recommend uh, uh, I would recommend it to everyone hmm if if other people are showing it yes um, okay so um, see it if you can yes yeah, see, see it if you can and even <laughs> if
0: you can't see it on a big old screen get the DVD see it on a small one because it's a really good film yes alright I told my mates I was going to be late for the, I, I told my mates I might be late for the football because I was seeing and I had to rush off uh, as it happened I got there about 10 minutes to spare so it was alright but um, and they're saying oh what are you seeing and I said oh it's this film called Zed and they said oh what's that and I said, it's this French-Algerian political thriller from 1969. And they went, oh yeah, you're welcome to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but more full them, it's brilliant. In
1: 1969, they would have seen it.
0: Yes. You know? I, in fact, I did look it up. It was, I believe it
1: was the... One second. The 12th highest grossing film of 1969 in the US. Can you believe it? A foreign subtitled film being the 12th highest uh, uh, box office success in the US. That would never happen now. It, it made
0: fourteen million dollars. The top film made a hundred and two million dollars. But the second top film made forty four million dollars. Yeah, I'll give you the I'll give you the top eleven in reverse order. Eleven was winning. Uh, then on Her Majesty's Secret Service.
1: That's amazing. So just a couple of ranks after a Bond.
0: Yeah. Uh, mind you, the difference in box offices is fourteen million to twenty two million.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: then Goodbye Columbus, Cactus Flower, True Grit, Paint Your Wagon. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Uh-huh. Hello, Dolly. Number three is Easy Rider. Number two is Midnight Cowboy. And number one is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So there so, you
1: go. That's quite... Uh, just it, below the westerns. Yeah, But it's amazing to find a foreign film in that list, amongst that list. Yeah. It outdid uh, The Wild Bunch, Where Eagles Dare,
0: Topaz, Once Upon a Time in the West. That's a... What a film. I yes. wish they'd show that at the Mac. Um, they shoot horses, don't they? And The Stewardesses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've
1: never heard of that
0: one. The Stewardesses. It's the most profitable 3D film. It's one of the most profitable films, profitable films ever in in terms of the, the, the ratio of box office to budget. Yes. Incredibly low budget. And then it made about $13 million. You know, I don't
1: know if it's Once Upon a Time in the West, but one of the interesting things about this film is that it does have all of these references to pop cultures. For example... You know, there's a news agent where, you know, one half of the screen is all pictures of Elvis Presley and the other is nudie pics, right? Mm. And then there's the scene where there begins to be a confrontation in the the place that they had originally rented at the beginning of the film to host the talk. And they get into a kerfuffle and one of the things that is knocked over is an image of Clint Eastwood yes. in one of the Sergio Leone films. Right? Yes. So it's a kind of interesting that the other one <laughs> is kind of, you know, on the list of films seen that year.
0: Yeah. Um, just to just to clarify, The stewardesses is softcore porn.
1: Yes. <laughs> I
0: think <laughs> I got that. <laughs> 3D softcore porn. Right. That's why I did just station on 3D, you see. I needed the excuse to watch it. Right. <laughs> so that's how you know about it. I think everyone should know about it. Right. It's a classic.
1: All right, so (laughs) shall we wrap it up here?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really, really glad I saw that. Okay, excellent. (laughs)